strung out, hung out on the line. Saw myself going down to war in June. What I want, all I want is writing myself a tune. Wrote a song for everyone. Wrote a song for truth. Wrote a song for everyone. And I couldn't leave it up to you. Got myself arrested. Wound me up in jail. Richmond about to blow up. Communication failed. Welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It's great to be back here. Was off the last week, and then the previous week did a, an abridged episode, had a brief introduction, and then played an older episode, so it feels good to be back here in the studio, because the, the fascist creep keeps on creeping, and in the past few weeks, there definitely have been more moves made by this administration to squash the lives of people, and I'm not being uh, facetious 
I'm not. I mean, it's really, it's happening. Things are getting worse for a lot of people. And as per usual, it's the more marginalized folks that are experiencing it first. And the idea is to wake up everyone. So everyone is aware of what's happening because just because they're not coming for you now doesn't mean they won't be coming for you tomorrow or the day after or the next year. So this is a warning. This show has been a warning for the past few years. So this goes back to the previous administration. And oftentimes when I am in bed and thinking about things I see on social media or posts that people create that I might not agree with or I want to talk with them about or maybe argue a few points and I don't end up writing them because it's I'm either too frustrated or too tired or I don't have the right words for it or I feel I don't have the right words for it because I probably do. And it kind of keeps me up at night or wakes me up in the morning. It's like, oh, I, I could just say this and refute their point. And I recognize everyone has different experiences. And I do feel like folks with more privilege should l- listen to the folks uh, with with less than they do. I feel like that's movements are should be led by the folks who are most impacted by it. That's so If there's one thing I've learned, I've learned a lot of things by doing this show and speaking with people and doing my best to stay open and and listen and learn from folks and a recurring aside from the fact that state violence is trying to kill all of us or at least the majority of us uh the idea is that all movements should be led by the folks who are most impacted by it so instead of having this kind of savior complex like oh you're a group who's suffering i'm go- I, I think i know what i'm gonna do to help you it should instead be all right well what do you need and how can i support you that's how it should be it's actually kind of easy when you think about it. it makes a lot of sense so I was thinking about this last night, and there's a, there's a lot to say. There's there's a lot. There's so many different arguments that are happening, and I get that everyone has different experiences. So it would make sense that people have different perspectives, and at the same time, it's really frustrating because the I think a lot of the arguments are made as if the playing field is level when it's so clearly not level. And you can't exactly expect everyone to act the same or react the same to the same situation if people experience it differently and have for generations. (sighs) There, of course, have been more police killings. I should say, I should emphasize killings by police. There haven't been, well, maybe there have been. I don't hear about them. (sighs) Stefan Clark was a young man, a young black man in Sacramento who was murdered in his grandmother's backyard, and he was shot 20 times and folks were protesting and his brother and many other folks went to the Sacramento uh, like a city I think it was city hall I will clarify later and I'll read the specifics of it and they took it over and I have so much just I don't have the words for it but just uh, I can't quite understand how much what, what must that be like to go through for a family if to have a loved one murdered and to have the state not do anything about it and to know this is a pattern that continues to happen what do you do with your grief and then we all know that losing a loved one is incredibly painful and it never quite goes away we feel this grief on it's ongoing and then what happens when it's someone who's been taken from you so not even someone dying of old age but someone who is taken from you who is murdered and I read that you're not supposed to say that cops murdered someone if they're not fully held accountable. However, cops are very rarely held accountable when they do kill people. So I don't know how else to frame it. So people have been protesting and that's been, it's the one thing that can be done for now. 
And I recognize this is also just one in the many cases that have happened this year and that has happened over the past few centuries. So that's one thing that has happened in the last few weeks I wanted to mention. I find myself at odds sometimes because I recognize that the medium of this is uh, is audio. And I so often want to give moments of silence because we're often talking about state violence and people who have been killed. And these are, and and not even just killed, people who are deported, people who are assaulted or attacked, or people who, who happen to live in poverty, which itself is violence. <sighs> I do have a newspaper I'm going to read from a little bit later, and it's ultraviolet that a classmate of mine gave me. Uh, a newsletter of L-A-G-A-I, Queer Insurrection. So there's some good articles in here, and it came out in the spring of 2018, so it's very timely. So I will read a few of these articles a little bit later. I'm also, will be promoting a few upcoming events, some shows. I do like to talk to activists, community organizers, and artists. And it's really important that we make sure artists have a space to create their work because artists are creating the kind of world that we could and should be living in. And it's really crucial that they get a platform as well. So I happen to have the paper in my hand, so I will read one upcoming event, End the Wars at Home and Abroad. And that, I think, is really important. Recently, I was overhearing someone... I won't even go into it because it makes me so angry. Uh, just talking about going abroad to help people and, you know, as if here in the Bay Area there aren't folks living in encampments. The idea that somehow it was a kind of, the way it was coming across to me, it sounded like this kind of savior, like, oh, look at me, I'm doing so much good in the world. I'm going to another continent to help people. And I'm like, do you look outside? Do you see what's happening here? So I feel like if you have the time and the energy and the resources, um, there's a lot that can also be done right here in this country. It's an idea. So coming up on April 15th, that's in a couple of weeks, and the wars at home and abroad. Because there's a lot of, I mean, the U.S. likes to start wars in a lot of places. 11.30 a.m., gather at Lake Merritt Amphitheater. 12.30 p.m., march to Oscar Grant Plaza. 1.30 p.m., rally at 14th and Broadway. And this is in Oakland. So I'll read this again in the next couple of weeks as well as a reminder. There's always, not always, but pretty often, there are a lot of protests happening and next up, I'm going to promote a really awesome show that's happening. It's tonight and tomorrow night are the last couple nights of it. And this is at Bindlestiff Studio. I saw it last night. It was great. It's uh, Granny Cart Gangstas at Bindlestiff. And the show is Here Kitty Kitty, The Pussy Bites Back. It's a really awesome, funny, inventive, comedic show. It's at Bindlestiff, which is at 185 6th Street in San Francisco. And you can find them online. And yeah, I highly recommend it if you're in the mood for an awesome show comedic sketch show really cool check out granny cart gangsters next up on friday the 13th in april queer bash the degenderates present queer bash a benefit for lgbtqia plus and in addition uh, martial arts at four elements in downtown oakland dress to kill support trans fighters with demonstrations by the de- 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 ah, excuse me the degenderettes and friends there's an invite on facebook if you go to facebook.com forward slash degenderettes or if you go to four elementsfitness.com and again that's april 13th friday at 7 p.m also coming up tonight is i believe it's i want to make sure i have the correct information um however it's been going on for a while and it is the uh, G- the sing-along for jesus christ superstar 
that is happening at the Victoria. And I'm going to also just make sure I get all the information correct before I read more. Seventh, it's the seventh annual sing-along Jesus Christ Superstar at the Victoria Theater. It's today at 6.30 p.m. and tickets are available. All of the proceeds go to the SF Trans March, which is really awesome. They have they have guests there. They have um, a lot of really cool things that happen. It's like they, I think they also vote for like the sexiest Jesus. Some people dress up. Uh, I'll read the details. Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, Inc. and Bad Flower Productions proudly present the 7th Annual Sing-Along Jesus Christ Superstar, a benefit for the San Francisco Trans March. This year, we will have a special memorial tribute to honor our beloved late Barry Denon, a.k.a. Pontius Pilate. For volunteer opportunities and low or no income options, you can email storm at stormflores.com. The box office is cash only, opens at 6 p.m., at the Victoria Theater, doors are at 6.30, and the show is at 7. There's costume prizes and door prizes, and you sing along. And also, ASL will be provided for the movie introduction, a costume contest, and prop cues, and the movie will be closed captioned. And this venue is also wheelchair accessible, and I also was told that no one's turned away. So if you really want to go and might not be able to afford it, please do attend, and you will be able to get in. So again, this is happening uh, tonight at the Victoria Theater, 6.30 p.m., 7th Annual Sing-Along Jesus Christ Superstar. Yay! Uh, yeah, why not start with some positive things that are happening and people that are making it happen? Thinking of things that, speaking of things that are bad, because this is a news program and current events, and there's, of course, we can't quite get to everything, and I also recognize it's very uh, United States-centric, because we're, <laughs> there's a lot of bad stuff happening here, and also that's what we hear about. Some really bad bills the Senate have, has passed recently that's going to have really terrible effects. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. It's really bad news. And that's SESTA and FOSTA, which is S-E-S-T-A and F-O-S-T-A. And it's under the guise of, hey, let's stop sex trafficking. Um, however, you know, like what, what's the saying that uh, impact is more important than intent? Because this, it's, it's actually, it's going to actually harm people, this bill. And this bill is also going to really harm uh, folks who do sex work. And one thing that happened already was that Craigslist decided to shut down their personals ads because they'd be affected by this bill. Now, I know a lot of folks who have met their partners on Craigslist. I know folks who find like really satisfying hookups. People have made friends there. Uh, there are many folks who do sex work and they find clients on the personal section. And Craigslist used to have the erotic section and then that was closed, I think, in 2010 and that was also a problem. Because the thing is that people are going to be doing this work regardless. So why not make it, I personally feel like it should be completely legalized and decriminalized. And in the meantime, the very least we can do is provide options for people because the more options there are, the safer it will be for everybody. And instead, the government wants to shut it down. So it's really harming a lot of people. And it's also really harming queer folks and low-income folks. Because Craigslist, also, it's, it's a free service, which is awesome. And also provides some more queer options. I know a lot of people, myself included, who have met people I wouldn't have ordinarily met if Craigslist hadn't been an option. And also, for folks who think, part of my rant thing here is, for folks like, oh, this doesn't affect me, if you think of yourself as a, perhaps you're in a heteronormative marriage or you're considering yourself cis and you're not going to like, you're like, oh, that's not, doesn't involve me, blah, 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 blah. Um, if anyone who's ever is familiar with the M4M section of Craigslist, there is a substantial portion of those posts that are from men who happen to be closeted or, hey, I'm in town um, or, uh, you know, I'm married, I'm in town and they, it's kind of clear that they're not married to a woman or they are married to a woman, excuse me. 
Maybe they're not. Um, many of them are, though. Many of them are like, hey, my girlfriend's out of town. Hey, my wife isn't here. Hey, X, Y, Z. And I don't mean this to shame anyone at all. It's a matter of that this is a safe place, hopefully, where folks can find consensual sex and get their needs met. And the fewer places there are for folks to do that, the worse off it's going to be. And one point I like to make a lot is Karl Rove, who's, ugh, you know, one of those awful war profiteers or war profiteer with a lot of bad behavior who has caused a lot of harm to countless lives. And his father was gay. And it's not to say, oh, gay people can't be, because a lot of folks I know who are out and gay are great parents. It's the idea that someone who doesn't feel like they have the opportunity to come out might end up raising shitheads like Karl Rove. That's, that's one piece to it. And um, perhaps if his father had felt like he could actually be himself, either Karl Rove might not have been born and or he might have been raised with some love. So I think it's a pretty good connection to make. And I also wonder what the world would be like if everyone was actually able to have the, consen- the consensual sex that they, that they wanted to have. I feel like there'd be a f- lot fewer wars. I mean, look at our vice president, for instance, and I'm just waiting for the escorts, the male escorts, to speak up about it because they are out there. We have someone who's looking to pass legislation that is homophobic and transphobic, and he himself is engaging in and has engaged in acts like that. And I don't, I don't ever feel like I only feel the idea of outing people is when they're people in positions of power who actively are trying to harm the community. Then I feel like, by all means, get these fuckers out, out them. And again, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, And if these people are looking to cause harm to those of us who are able to live openly, they need to be called out. And something that's similar is that there's a post I saw very recently, I think it was yesterday, that made me feel a lot better. And I'm wanting to put a lot of positive energy into this and make it a reality, and I believe it is a reality. And that's, uh, there's an open Google Doc going around in the sex worker ally community to indicate anonymously members of Congress who have procured the services of a sex worker. If you are running for office or considering it, you better educate yourself on the profound impact that end-demand policies have on sex workers and survivors. Quand les prostitutes uh, sont les hommes puissants tremblent. I haven't spoken French in a bit. And it pretty much translates to um, when sex workers come together, uh, powerful men tremble. And uh, I think that's beautiful. All right. Ugh. Since we're on this topic, I'm going to read another post that was shared by a number of folks online, and I'm really just wanting to get into this, and uh, things you can do to help, and I've also shared this on the Weekly Review webpage, so if you would like to copy and paste it, please do. Uh, yeah, I can find it at facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. Things you can do to help sex workers in the wake of FOSTA, non-monetary ideas included, please copy and paste and share. One. Give your money to sex workers. If you know folks struggling and can afford to, throw them some cash. If the workers that you know are fairly privileged, ask them to give some cash to less privileged workers that they might know. Many of us are losing the platforms which we advertise on, and so money is going to be tight. Number two, share your resources. Do you have a job that gets you discounts? Are you able to get some extra food on your way out at the restaurant? Do you have some Sky Miles that you can donate to help a sex worker go work in a different city so they can make up for the deficit? Do you have a spare bedroom or couch that someone can crash on if they lose their housing? Three, share sex worker content. Many of us are posting about this stuff, and it would be extremely helpful. 
if you could hit that share button and keep the content on people's radar. Now is not the time to be sheepish or be concerned about whether or not your friends and loved ones will judge you. We already get a bunch of judgment, and to be perfectly honest, if you are willing to share the content about kids getting shot in the street and homophobia and such, then you should be talking about sex workers' rights as well because sex work is the intersection of all these things. These laws are based in racism and sexism, and that needs to be considered and addressed. Also keep in mind that this bill has already shut down the subreddit and a lot of sex worker-only discussion groups, and a lot of us are sitting here with the sword hanging over our heads, wondering when our Facebook accounts are going to get shut down. When and if that happens, we will need you more than ever. Four, bug your senators and representatives. If you don't know how to contact them, you can text RESIST to 50904, and they will tell you how to contact those people. When you do, please tell them that the passage of FOSTA and SESTA, and that's F-O-S-T-A and S-E-S-T-A, is having a devastating effect on people in your community, and you would like for them to repeal it. Five, listen. Pretty much every sex worker I know is scrambling right now to not only make sure their business stays afloat, but also to inform and educate the people around them, because quite honestly, we don't know what else to do. When sex workers talk to you about these issues, don't tell us what you think should be done because you don't know the business and we are already being talked down to by our clients, the government, being talked down to by our clients, the government, family, and the public at large, so we don't need any more condescension. Sometimes we just need to e need an ear or shoulder to cry on. Be that person. And definitely don't be the person asking sex workers how to get into the industry right now. We don't need more newbie workers coming in at this time, and they won't make money anyway, especially with the current climate. We need resources. We don't need leeches. Please be considerate of that when you lend a hand or ear. Six, correct, and this is, I mean, they're all really important. This one, I think, really hits home because I feel with the media and a lot of conversations, yeah, this one, ugh, correct people when they say negative things or make jokes about sex workers, especially when you're in public. I know it's uncomfortable, but imagine being a sex worker in a room full of people, and then someone makes a joke about how you should be dead and everybody laughs, and nobody says anything in your defense. I can tell you from experience, it's a very isolating and distressing experience. It's hard enough to think that your government wants you dead, but it's even harder when it's people who are your IRL friends and associates. When you stand up for sex workers, just remember that there might be a sex worker in that room who, even though they may not ever tell you, will appreciate that someone cared. A lot of us suffer in silence because we have to. <sighs> Try to minimize that suffering if you can. Six, share your skills. Are you a great babysitter and have a couple hours that you can give to a sex worker so they can go to work? Are you good at building websites or know a lot about tech and or security? I don't know how many folks listen to the show who are really into tech, but please, if you do, if you do listen to the show and are, by all means, please, this means you. Are you good at building websites or know a lot about tech and or security? Do you teach a yoga class and think you could pencil in a special class for sex workers here and there to relax and connect to their bodies? Think about the things that you are good at and how you can use that to help folks. Seven, share your contacts. Do you have famous friends with lots of Twitter followers? Do you know lawyers or legislators? Start educating them. Ask them to talk with their base and retweet sex worker content, especially if you have a friend who may have said disparaging things about sex workers in the past. Wow, so I have a lot of great gratitude for the folks who people who wrote this, and also please do copy and paste this. It's on the weekly review 
Facebook page, which is at facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. So we are getting into, we'll be getting into, <laughs> that's, that's a lot for the first half hour of the show, I recognize. So we're going to play some music, <laughs> open up the show with Mavis Staples singing, wrote a song for everyone. What's next up? Uh, why not some Stevie Nicks? Uh, stay tuned and we'll be back in a little bit.
stands for, right? Because we know that this is not just about Urban Shield, it's just one tip of the iceberg of the broader problem of police militarization uh, and policing in general. Um, so I wonder if we can just have a couple of folks break down what we think that happened. <laughs> because, because I think that there's like, we're, we're hesitating right now about the celebration and I, and I think my understanding of what happened is that we moved a lot of supervisors. Yes. We moved Nate Miley yes. way further than we ever yes. thought that we could move Nate Miley. We had Supervisor Chan stand up strong yes. despite, I think, a lot of pressure on her. Uh, a lot of pressure on her in an election year and she felt uh, moved to be an advocate for our communities. Um, and we, you know, we had some supervisors who, who did not feel that pressure and didn't stand up for our communities until the end, right? Um, but in the end, my understanding of all of the legal legislative mumbo jumbo that happened was that 2019 Urban Shield will not and cannot go forward uh, for next year, right? So that is a huge victory. So we should give it up for that. legislatively. So as I say, claim no easy victories. I think that we need to thank the supervisors that um, stood up for us in there today. And we also need to maintain that pressure and make sure that what gets written into the law is what we actually uh, want to see next year, which is no Urban Shield uh, 2019. And then moving forward into the future and also no um, other programs that substitute right the same uh, procedures that Urban Shield has the same the same programs. Um, so uh, we'll keep working, we'll keep fighting, and we'll make sure that Urban Shield in 2018 also uh, doesn't go forward as as planned or as yeah. intended by the sheriff. Um, can I don't know if Lada, you want to share some thoughts? Um, so I do think this was a victory. So let's really give ourselves a round of applause. Yeah. 
challenge the sheriff on Urban Shield. And we got Supervisor Chan to literally say, I'm willing to take the risk no matter what and end Urban Shield. We moved Miley, who we never even took into consideration of moving today, around Urban Shield and Carson. So ultimately, we got them to sit, take our side and stand against the sheriff, which we know is not an easy task in Alameda County. So we should all be proud of ourselves for putting the pressure that we did put on. That's what got them to move today. Not just showing up today, but the organizing we've been doing leading up to today and for years. So really great job, everybody, for how we showed up, how we stayed in, and how we ended up pushing them at the end to actually want to defund Urban Shield next year. That is a victory. We may not have ended Urban Shield this year, but we got their commitment to not have Urban Shield next year. Shield Coalition, many folks working together for a long time to get Urban Shield out of Alameda County. Urban Shield, for folks who are unaware, it's the militarizing of the cops, and uh, it's gross. That's not very helpful, is it? It's really the militarization of the cops. So it's pretty much training them, giving them excess weapons. Uh, it's horrific. I don't do it justice. I'm going to read an article that explains a lot more about it. However, I wanted to celebrate this this victory about getting Urban Shield out of uh, Oakland for at least at least in 2019, which is great. So if we make it to 2019, there won't be Urban Shield in Oakland. So that's a good thing to look forward to, everybody. And again, as per usual on the show, the positive things are when uh, negative things are prevented or negative things are stopped from happening. And I'll take it. So from the East Bay Express, this article came out on March 27th and was written by Darwin Bongram. Alameda County Supervisors vote to end Urban Shield as currently constituted. The Alameda County Board of Supervisors voted this afternoon to approve only one more year, only one more year of funding for Urban Shield, a law enforcement and first responders training exercise <clears throat> run by Sheriff Gregory Ahern. The vote came after hours of public comment, and I heard there were like over 100 people there, maybe 150. Uh, the vote came after hours of public comment, with many calling for the event to be discontinued entirely. This is the last year, said Supervisor Keith Carson, who made the motion to end Urban Shield in its current form. As it currently is, Urban Shield as we know it ends at the conclusion of this vote after this year's program. For years, critics have said Urban Shield militarizes police. Some vendors at the event's Weapons Expo have been criticized for selling, quote-unquote, oh, fucking graph. Oh, I... 
just fucking grow. I can't even. I, I, maybe I'm censoring myself. I don't even want to just fucking discuss. All right, if you, if you want to read the article, I'm not gonna read it. It's just fucking gross. Check out the weekly review webpage. We've shared it there. So they they've sold T-shirts that have mocked Black Lives Matter movement and other companies that provided props for SWAT teams training exercises that were said to perpetuate racist stereotypes. The far-right anti-government extremist group Oath Keepers attended last year's event. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a.k.a. the Gestapo, also participated in last year's SWAT competition. More recently, records obtained by anti-Urban Shield activists show that the event has received funding from the controversial private military contractor company Blackwater, now named Academi, and weapons makers like Taser and Bay, B-A-E, systems, as well as companies that had multi-million dollar contracts with the sheriff's office, such as the jail health care provider Corizon. But the Alameda County Sheriff's Office maintains that Urban Shield is an emergency preparedness event that is limiting. It will only hamper police, fire, and EMS training that's necessary to respond to natural disasters and large-scale crimes like mass shootings or bombings. Over the past couple years, Ahern changed the event to respond to some criticisms. The county adopted policies about appropriate vendors and even set up a task force to institutionalize, excuse me, institutionalize feedback. The task force disbanded after one year, however. Today's vote by the Board of Supervisors was to accept and allocate federal grant funding for the 2018 Urban Shield exercise, but in 2019, the event will be reconstituted after input from various stakeholders. The supervisors voted to continue accepting federal disaster training funds through their Urban Areas Security Initiative program in future years, but the training exercises that the money pays for will be re-envisioned. Only Supervisor Scott Haggerty voted against the motion, although he acknowledged there have been some problems some problems, with Urban Shield vendors and how the exercises are perceived. Haggerty said it should continue, but perhaps with a sensitivity officer who would provide advice to the sheriff. I wish folks could see my eye roll right now. Several public speakers said the sheriff's office promotes racism through Urban Shield. I don't think the sheriff is a racist, responded Carson. It really bothered me to hear that. Well, it bothers a lot of people when people are, are killed by cops. That's my own perspective. Supervisor Wilma Chan said she would rather end Urban Shield as a program run by the sheriff and put out a competitive request for proposals to operate in an emergency preparedness training exercise and to find other ways of using the grant money. Supervisors Nate Miley and Richard Valley say they said said they support Urban Shield, but that changes are needed. I don't like the militarization of our police department, said Valley before the vote, but I represent a lot of people in my district who would like to see Urban Shield continue, just not in its current form. Mm. So, yeah. <sighs> wow. Wow. So I have a lot of great gratitude, <laughs> a lot of gratitude for the folks looking to put an, an end or at least a, a pause or a stop or asking elected officials to really focus on where the money is going, especially when it's going to militarization, which we all know doesn't help people, it harms people. All right, next up from the time standard, HSU students demand admin slash own pay instead of classes and staff. And I know a lot of folks who went to HSU and people who teach at HSU, this is Humboldt State University, which is a few hours north of the Bay Area here in California. 
This is written by Will Houston, who is on the Eureka Times Standard staff, and it came out about a week ago on March 21st. A host of Humboldt State University students demanded today during a walkout protest that university administrators cut their own pay instead of cutting classes and staff positions, as is being proposed to address the university's deficit. Student speakers at the walkout expressed outrage that many of their peers face homelessness, food insecurity, and massive student loan debts, while California State University officials approve raises for university presidents and administrators. Gross. Ugh. Our institution needs fundamental change, sociology major Moxie Alvinares. Excuse me. Excuse me, uh, sociology major Moxie Alvarnaz, uh, 23, said through a megaphone from the second story of the university center while speaking to the crowd of students gathered in the quad below. They promised us possibility. They gave us poverty immediately upon arriving. After the gathering, a large group of students occupied university provost Dr. Alex Anyedi's office and demanded to speak with university president Lisa Rossbacher and a university accreditation review team that is currently touring the campus. The university is proposing to make up to $9 million in budget cuts to address the university's long-standing structural deficit. Proposals include reducing smaller courses in order to increase capacity for classes that students need to graduate, as well as cutting administration and staff positions. Students and staff say that they will be bearing the burden of the failures of administrators, which is so often what happens. Uh, um, Alicia Gaskins said she has been an anthropology department lecturer at HSU since 2014 and is also an HSU alumna for both her bachelor's and master's degrees. Currently 21 weeks pregnant, Gaskins said today that she is only expecting to teach four units next semester, two units below what is needed for her to retain the university health, health insurance for her family and potentially, and potentially, potentially, <laughs> am I really getting that tired already, potentially affecting her maternity leave benefits. Potentially. Rather than spending time raising her newborn during their first months together, Gaskin said she now anticipates having to find a second job so she can afford insurance and a livelihood. Gaskin said she has her dream job, but the proposed cuts will diminish the quality of education that she would want as both an instructor and as a student. Resource distribution is a social justice issue, she said. Our students at HSU already face housing problems, food insecurity. We have hungry and homeless students. That is not okay. This situation that the administration is putting forth is only going to make that worse. HSU has had a structural deficit since 2010 and is forecast to have more than to have a more than $7 million deficit by the end of the school year that will increase to about $10 million by the 2019-2020 academic year if changes aren't made, according to university data. University administrators attribute the deficit to mandatory faculty and staff salary raises, deficit spending by departments, insufficient state funding, and decreased enrollment. Before walking to his office to speak to the students gathered there, Anyedi took a few minutes to speak to the time standard in the quad. He said that they expect to have 800 fewer students enrolled next semester, which he said will result in millions of dollars lost to the university. 
And yet he said, the proposed budget for fall 2018 is the f is this is a student first budget designed to protect students' progress toward a degree, and that the reductions are being made across the board. The deans have been given one primary directive or instruction: offer the courses students need to graduate, no questions asked. And yet he said, that means if there are courses that aren't necessary, then we wait on those. We have to have a certain number of students in a class to make it run, he continued. The colleges are going to look at effective substitutions to be able to move students into the appropriate courses to ensure that they continue their progress toward a degree. University-provided data shows that the university spends about 12% more per full-time equivalent students than campuses of similar size at Sonoma, San Marcos, Bakersfield, and Stanislaus, about $16,900 per, $16, per student at HSU, compared to the average $15,104 at the other four campuses. We're going to behave like a typical CSU because we've served students at, in the CSU, Anyedi said. So if students went to San Marcos and then came here, they should expect the same sort of budget reality in both institutions. I don't hear him talking about his own salary, though. That's interesting. And yet he said an open budget form will be held at the university March 26th at the Kate Buchanan Room on campus from 5 to 6.30 p.m. In its budget cut proposal, the university would cut $3 million from instru instructional programs, $740,000 from student services, $2.75 million from institutional support, $1.12 million from operations and maintenance, and $1.39 million from academic support, which includes closing the Third Street Gallery in Old Town Eureka. California Faculty Association HSU Chapter President and Sociology Department Assistant Professor Renee Bird said they agree the university is facing a budget crisis, but said they don't read it in the same way the administration does. She said that the university's multi-year deficit is the fault of poor leadership by administration and by Governor Jerry Brown not prioritizing education funding for the California State University system. The CSU Board of Trustees requested a $263 million increase in funding for 2018 to 2019, but Brown has only proposed $92.1 million in his budget, which is interesting because I thought we had a, uh, I thought there was a surplus in California, and I see the phone's ringing. Hello? Hello, you're on the air. Hello? Okay, perhaps uh, perhaps they'll call back. Okay, moving along. <sighs> Where were we? Okay. Oh, yes, so the governor was saying, the governor didn't, even though there's a surplus in California, the governor did not give enough money. As much as, as much as was requested. Should the governor not meet its request, the board has indicated it would consider a tuition increase, ugh, which would be the second tuition hike in two years. That's ridiculous. Bird has said, the planned cuts by the university will place the burden on faculty, staff, and students, and would only harm the university's goal of providing quality education. 
The administration continues to talk as if we are a factory and the job is just to push the students down the assembly line faster. What they don't think about is the quality of education and the opportunities that our students need to succeed, Bird said. I think that more than ever, it should be clear in this society that we need a population that can think critically, that can evaluate the arguments put forward by their elected representatives and in the media. I agree. It's not just about the piece of paper that's the degree. It's about what it signifies, Bird continued. Bird said she spoke before the CSU Board of Trustees in Long Beach today to outline their concerns. Environmental science and botany student Marissa McGrew, 21, said she is about to start her fifth year at the university. McGrew said that the reason she is pursuing a botany degree and plans to stay at the university is because of her instructors and the educational opportunities they have provided. The main website has a rolling slideshow of pictures, mostly of students in outdoor labs, and the school is making a profit off of that, but they're cutting those classes, McGrew said. It's unfair, and it's not painting the right picture. They're not practicing what they preach. In a February letter to the University Resource Planning Committee, a university Senate committee of administrators, faculty, and students that provides budget recommendations to Rossbacker, HSU zoology professor John Rice said that the said that biological sciences department is unable to accommodate the student demand for classes already, with any further cuts likely to exacerbate reductions in enrollment and state funding. If we need to cut back on class sections to reduce our spending, which is the only way that we can save money, in other words, by laying off lecturers, Rice wrote, even more students will be unable to get the courses they need to graduate in a timely fashion, which can only hurt our four, to four and six year graduation rates and will likely drive students to drop out or go elsewhere for their education. As students in the background were chanting, hey, hey, what do you say? We want funding right away. That's a good one. Communication student Lizzie Phillips, 25, said the only way to make fundamental change is to question the current economic system and for students to use their voices. Yes. How is it going to affect Humboldt County when students can't come here because they're priced out of their educations, Phillips said. I just want people to know that their words are powerful and they need to start using them to change. Hear, hear. Um, and so the, they offer the phone number of the person who wrote the article. Well, Houston can be reached at 707-441-0504. And again, this article, we posted it on the Weekly Review webpage, and you can also find it at thetimestandard.com. Wow. Okay. So that's – I appreciate the folks speaking up and – I recognize that that's a situation that a lot of colleges and universities are, are going through. So we're going to take another music break in a moment as I get everything all set up. I also wanted to share the name of the band, the last band we heard from, which is called Fourth Curtis, which I hadn't heard from before. And they're an all-trans band from St. Paul, Minnesota. And you can find them at fourthcurtis.bandcamp.com. And that song was called Anjali. And I really liked it a lot. Someone shared it on a on a uh, page and I thought that was a, a really good song. So next up, uh, playing another song from a friend of mine who I think is an incredible artist and musician uh, in Opogu. And if you go to inopogu.bandcamp.com, um, also known as El Primo Innocente. So again, it's inopogo.bandcamp.com forward slash music. Um, this is one of my favorite songs. Uh, of Poe's uh, Sad Computer. And we're going to play this, and then we'll be back uh, with some more news. So stay tuned. Also, we're taking calls. So if you want to call in with anything, any information, 
uh, comments, please do. Our phone lines are open. We're at 415-550-0511. I've been up since the day you disconnected me. On your desktop, I see pictures of a younger me. I'm not that nice.
We've been at drawers offices when they get a call from a, from a buyer in New York and he tells the drawer, oh, I cannot, I can't buy you grapes, I can't pay a penny from their own sale. These farm workers are picketing everywhere in New York. They've got thousands of pickets. We had about 40 pickets. To tell the drawer, we can't buy the grapes. That's how it works. Because at the other end, the supermarkets want to get the grapes as cheap as they can to sell them. The brokers do too. And we don't mind at that point that they get them as cheap as they can because they'll help us. And you see also, the consumers buy fruits in this order. Bananas first, apples second, oranges third, and grapes fourth. And they're all interrelated. Look at what happens when the price of grapes go down because of the boycott. Bananas and apples and oranges also come down because they don't want to lose the customers. And so the grower, after the boycott starts and the grower begins to lower, the, the grocery store lowers the price of grapes because they're getting grapes cheaper as a lead. It doesn't last long because then the bananas come and the grapes and the oranges and the apples, they also want their prices down because they don't want to lose the customers to cheap grapes. And it works. It's not a very scientific fact. This is how, this is how things work. And so we can learn a lot from Dr. King and from Gandhi. You know, when, on the, when the bus boycott, there was no way in the world that those blacks could have ever won it politically. They couldn't. Politically, they didn't have any power. And they came up with the idea of the boycott. And the boycott began to work. The boycott has tremendous, tremendous leverage. The boycott is an idea. It's not a picket line, but it's an idea that spreads. Pardon the expression, it spreads through the grapevine. But it does spread. We don't know how it happens. The definitive study of a boycott has never been made. And we're waiting for somebody in one years like you to come and do the definitive study, find exactly what happens in a boycott. We've been boycotting for 29 years, and we know from experience. We can tell when boycotts are working, what stands, those things, but only from intuition, only from experience, but not really because of facts. The boycotts are Gandhi's boycotts. Some were tremendous boycotts. Some were strokes of geniuses. And liberated the whole country without war. We just missed it because people were, there wasn't a shooting war, so that's not important. But we should reflect on those instances when things were done without a shooting war. Those are important things to reflect on, understand, and appreciate, and try to replicate. The other thing podcast is that it saves you, the consumer, money. The important thing is, you see, we've been around, we travel more extensively than any presidential candidate in this country. We've been doing it for 42 years. They only do it for four, for two seasons at the most, right? And we've gone up and down, just up and down, everywhere. And we think we have a good idea of the American consumer. We know that the American consumer wants fairness. We know that. Whatever they say, whatever they do, yet in their heart, they want to be fair. 
We want to be fair in this country. That's kind of the idea. But we also want to be told what to do because you see, in most cases, we're never told what to do. It's very difficult to come and join a struggle because there's no clear-cut, immediate thing you can do. In our case, we learned that. It will make it very simple for you. Just boycott anything that's like great. You don't have to go to meetings, to rallies, even spend money, even take, it not miss a step from your, your, your schedule and still be helpful. Isn't that great? That's how it works. And, it, and then be patient because it works. And we got these guys in the run. It's going to work again. It's worked for us many times. We beat them twice and we'll beat them again the third time because now we have three generations of great workouters in the United States. Boycotting Grace is now Americana. All right, and welcome back. And this was for uh, Cesar Chavez Day is happening this Saturday here in California. So I wanted to play a clip, and that was uh, Cesar Chavez Explains Boycotts, and you can find that on YouTube. All right, coming up next, <laughs> there's so much so much happening and so much to talk about. We'll get to what we can get to. Also, you're listening to Mutiny Radio. If you would like a show here, uh, you can you can totally get one. All it involves some training, pay monthly dues, and you have a two hours a week to do any type of program you want. There's talk shows here. There's music. There's comedy, informational shows, uh, anything you'd like. So I really want to encourage folks to to check that out. If you go to mutinyradio.fm, there are slots available every day of the week, I believe. There's a lot of slots, especially in the afternoons. So, and also, if you're interested on weekday night, weekday? Weekend. Weekend nights, especially Saturday nights. The space is available for rental. So if you wanted to do a show here, and also that involves a live broadcast, as you also get to save the recording, uh, the space is also available for rental, which is pretty awesome. So check out mutinyradio.fm. If you like what you're hearing, I mean, I don't necessarily even like what I'm hearing because it's on this show because it is a lot of depressing news. However, if you appreciate what you're hearing and want to support this program, uh, greatly accept donations. We finally were able to, so thanks to all the people donating, able to meet our first goal, which covers the cost of rental fees. So thank you so much to everyone who's been donating. I greatly appreciate it. If you also would like to donate, please check out our Patreon account, which is at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Even a dollar a month is greatly appreciated and it, it's really helpful. So thanks for folks. And also please do share the podcast. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Great. And also we do take calls. Again, 415-550-0511. Coming up, I'm reading an article from the newspaper I mentioned earlier, Ultraviolet. And this is from the uh, spring 2018 edition free the hashtag black pride Four, and this is written by tori on june 17th 2017 a coalition of queer and trans people of color and some allies disrupted the columbus ohio pride parade hypocritically and erroneously called the stonewall columbus pride festival and parade the nonviolent direct action consisted of about 10 people linking arms with their mouths taped shut, and they stood across the parade to block it. They were calling out police violence against black people in Columbus. Uh, there were two murders in 2016, Tyree King and Henry Green, with no subsequent charges of the police. And spe- specifically, bringing attention to the heinous acquittal of the cop murderer of Philando Castile in Minneapolis, the day before they planned to block the pride parade for seven minutes 
and to highlight the seven shots fired into Flandro Castile. And they were also raising awareness for the ever increasing number of murders of trans women of color at an all time high nationwide. It is the duty of queers to stand against police violence and murder of people of color and to end and excuse me, and the endless cruelty and violence directed at trans women of color. Certainly these atrocities must be raised at pride events. Their corporate duplicity exposed for what it is. This day in June, brave queer comrades of color did just that. The police, having received a a tip, gross, <sighs> that protesters were blocking the parade, descended on the action violently with mace, using excessive force on a determinedly peaceful but militant action. Four African-American queers were arrested, Ripley Bennett, Kendall Denton, Ashley Braxton, and DeAndre Miles. This last February, Bennett, Denton, and Braxton were convicted of six out of eight misdemeanor charges, including disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. The fourth person, DeAndre Miles, has, has been falsely accused of aggravated robbery, alleged to have reached for a cop's gun, and is being tried separately on felony charges. Miles denies this accusation. As Ultraviolet goes to press, there is a call for a national day of action to hashtag free the black pride for on Monday, March 12th. L-A-G-A-I insurrection and quit, which is queers undermining Israeli terrorism, have written letters in support of the Black Pride 4, part of a letter writing campaign. TGI Justice Project is screening the documentary movie about Miss Major, Major, as an event to support the Black Pride 4. The Columbus Pride Group, which it takes its name from, the famous Stonewall Rebellion in Greenwich Village in 1969, led by trans women of color, including Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, has actively worked against the Black Pride Four. Although a number of people quit the board of the organization in response to the arrests and in protest of the Columbus Pride Board's condescension and refusal to intervene, the chair of the board of trustees, Tom McCartney, testified in court against the Black Pride Four, calling them a hate group. Are you? Ah! Excuse me. I'm trying not to yell in the microphone. It's really hard. Ah! Ah! Fucking. Ah! This is why we can't have nice things. Furthermore, a promised meeting with the community about the egregious arrests of the Black Pride Four was similarly similarly canceled by Executive Director Carla Rothen. The Pride Board has been criticized for encouraging increased policing of the Pride event, making it much less accessible to queers of color. Radical anti-capitalist queers have been disrupting Pride parades since the early days, which they stopped being... Um, when they stopped being grassroots demonstrations of queer liberation and became bastions of evil corporations, complete with floats advertising Smells Fargo, Killer Kaiser Permanente, and battalions of police marching along pretending to cure to care about queer people. In 1992, ACT UP stopped the SF parade every seven minutes with a large die-in, representing how often people were dying from AIDS that year. I can attest just how disruptive that was. After many years of parade crashing in 1998, LAGAI queer insurrection did a big crash the parade campaign, complete with creative wheat pasting targeting the barricades and the corporate sponsorship. The slogan was, it's a movement not a market. I love it. We should bring that back. Mm. 
In 2002, Gay Shame had a vomitorium specifically targeting Budweiser, a heinous corporate sponsor. Gay Shame activists made a seven-foot-tall cardboard Budweiser can that read, Vomit Out Budweiser Pride and the Selling of Queer Identities. In 2012, Occupied broke into the parade with the message, It's a community, not a commodity. More recently, in 2015, there were pride parade disruptions by black, queer, and trans people in Boston, Denver, Durham, and Chicago, all calling for an end to police violence. In 2017, in addition to the Columbus action, there were pride disruptions in Seattle, New York, Boston, D.C., Phoenix, Chicago, all decrying police murder and corporatization of our movement. The evil billionaire white supremacist government is trying to criminalize every single bit of dissent. The Columbus Pride Board is complicit in helping stop this right to protest. The Black Pride 4 were exercising their First Amendment rights. We as anti-racist, anti-capitalist, anti-simulationist, anti-patriarchy queers have a duty and right to get our message out wherever we want, most especially during, in front of, or beside the Monster Pride Parade. It started as our liberation. How dare they arrest and charge the Black Pride 4? FTP. So you can find this article in the spring 2018 issue of Ultraviolet. Um, so thank you to my classmate Kate for getting me a copy of this. I appreciate it very much. There's another little... Uh, article I'm going to read. It's right here on the back page as well. Berkeley shall mound. Scott strikes again. Last year, Scott Wiener sponsored SB 35 to fast track development projects with quote unquote affordable housing, creating shortcuts around legal approval processes. The first use of the new law was in West Berkeley shell mound where Ohlone people and their allies have tried to halt a development project on the site of the oldest village and cemetery in the SF Bay area. Now the years of negotiations, hundreds of letters and many, many hours of testimony in opposition to the development at meeting after meeting will be scrapped. Wiener said the West Berkeley development is exactly the sort of project he had in mind in drafting SB 35. What a tool. Gross. This is fantastic, he says, quote-unquote. The whole point of the SB 35 was to accelerate the process of destroying sacred lands. Excuse me, that's my interjection into his quote. Let me finish. Was to accelerate the process and allow the project to and move forward that would otherwise be stymied. The developer added affordable housing, affordables in quotation marks, because we all know what they mean by affordable housing, affordable housing to take advantage of the new law. Corina Gould, an Ohlone, who is co-founder of Indian People Organizing for Change, said she and other project opponents were blindsided by the news. We're still trying to figure out how all this happened, she said. We agree that housing should be streamlined, um, but it when it comes to sacred sites, we as a society should think about things in a different way. This is a this is the very first place inhabited on the in the entire bay. Uh, that is something on the entire bay. That is something that should be worth saving. The resistance to this project will continue, and there will be and there was a spring equinox gathering on March twentieth from eight thirty to nine thirty a.m. at the West Berkeley Shell Mound site at Spanger's parking lot. Ugh. Goodness gracious. All right. I feel like I need another music break. I don't know about you listeners, but I think it's time time for another music break. And let's let's do that, shall we? So speaking of desecration of sacred sites and nature and all that, there's the the always classic Joni Mitchell song, Big Yellow Taxi. 
So we'll play this, and then we'll be back with some more news stories. tired of what it has to do it breaks and it buckles and the grass grows through God bless the grass God bless the truth that fights toward the sun they roll the lies over it and think that it is done it moves on the ground and reaches for the air and after a while it's growing everywhere God bless the grass God bless the grass that grows through cement it's green and it's tender and it's easily bent but after a while it lifts up its head For the grass is living And the stone is dead God bless the grass God bless the grass That's gentle and low The roots, they are deep 
And the will is to grow And God bless the truth The friend of the poor And the wild grass growing round the poor man's door God bless the grass Thank you. 
having some time this week uh, to get some music together for the show because I love playing music for folks. And we had some songs about nature and nature coming coming back, although the first one's more like, oh, no. And anyway, that, of course, was The Talking Heads with Nothing But Flowers. There's a lot more to get to, and I also want to just take into account my own emotional energy reading about these really distressing stories and also just not wanting to leave things out entirely. So I guess I'll start off with getting one thing out there. Ugh. So there have been a number of articles written about this, and this one comes from The Intercept. I'll read a little bit. As someone who's, who's I guess, identify as Jewish and just extremely frustrated, uh, I would say I'm an anti-Zionist. And the I have similar feelings about the, the state of Israel with the military and the government as I do about the United States here just the militarization, and I'm, for one, for getting rid of borders entirely, and the hearing about the constant suffering that folks are going through, it's just reprehensible, and wanting to put that out there, and I feel it's one's responsibility to speak up about it, and I recognize I've never been, and I'm not directly involved, and at the same time, to pretend it's not happening is, that's not going to help anybody. So from The Intercept, there's an article written by Robert Mackey, and that came out uh, today. Israel opens fire on protesters in Gaza after Trump's envoy denounces a hostile march. And there's a lot of footage here. There's many, many people marching. Israeli forces killed at least 12 Palestinian protesters in Gaza on Friday and injured hundreds more as tens of thousands answered an activist call to embrace civil disobedience by demonstrating close to the border fence an area defined by the Israel Defense Forces as a closed military zone. The unarmed protesters rallied to demand an end to the decade-long blockade of the territory by Israel and recognition of the right of refugees who fled there in 1948 to return and with their children and grandchildren to their homes inside what is now the Jewish state. According to plans sketched out by the independent Gazan activist Ahmed Abu Artema, the rally on Friday marked the start of a six-week campaign called the Great Return March, intended to culminate on May 15th as Israel celebrates its 70th birthday and Palestinians mourn the Nakba, or catastrophe, in which hundreds of thousands were driven from what would become the state of Israel. As part of the campaign, the writer Enes Fares Ghanem explained on the Gazan website, we are not numbers. Palestinian refugees living in Gaza will set up tents near the border and move gradually and peacefully closer. Although the Israeli military has deployed snipers along the fence and declared plans to use live ammunition against what it described in advance as violent riots planned throughout the Gaza Strip, Palestinians were dismayed by reports in the Israeli and international press calling the use of deadly force against unarmed demonstrators the result of clashes. Witnesses insisted that while some rocks were hurled in the direction of the border fence during the day, Israeli forces had initiated the violence. 
Video and photographs posted online from the scene suggested that shots had been fired at protesters some distance from the fence. And this article includes lots of photos and some video footage. One Palestinian photographer, Valid Mahmoud Rook, argued that live video of the demonstration be streamed to Facebook throughout the day. Uh, excuse me, argued that live video of the demonstration he streamed to Facebook throughout the day proved that peaceful protesters had been attacked without cause. Despite the, these firsthand accounts, responsibility for the violence was put squarely on the Palestinians by outlets like Fox News, which assured viewers in Mar-a-Lago and elsewhere that Israeli troops had been attacked. Israel's use of live ammunition against unarmed civilians came after the planned protest had been denounced by Jason Greenblatt, the Trump Organization lawyer sent by the president to negotiate an end to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yeah, that because that guy's going to fucking put an end to the Israeli... Palestinian conflict. That's right. Uh, okay. Well, I appreciate that he at least denounced their use of weaponry. Running on Twitter that night before the rally, Greenblatt described the planned demonstration as a... Oh, wait. He described it as a hostile march and falsely accused the organizers of being members of Hamas, a militant group that rules Gaza. I'm just going to reread this to make sure I'm understanding what they're saying correctly. Oh, so the so this guy, he, of course, he denounced the protest and not the use of lime ammunition. That's what I would denounce. I would den denounce the use of lime ammunition and not the protest. All right. So this guy who was sent in, gross. While Hamas officials had embraced and promoted plans for the march, it began on the Facebook page of Ahmed Abu Artema, a political independent whose family is originally from the city of Rami. Ram Ramli, excuse me, now in central Israel. Greenblatt's comments distorting the character of the protest appeared almost identical to social media propaganda released by the Israeli military. Uh, excuse me. The American envoy's remarks also contrasted sharply with comments made by former Secretary of State John Kerry last year in which he predicted that Israel would soon be confronted with the spectacle of 40,000 kids marching up to the wall every day with signs saying, give us our rights. The violence did shock the, conscien the conscience of some Israelis. Beit Selim, an Israeli rights group, denounced the Israeli military's manifestly, manifestly illegal use of deadly force against the protesters. Thank you for doing so. <sighs> the Israeli-American journalist Myrev Zonsin uh, observed bitterly that such a display of deadly force was particularly galling on the eve of the Jewish holiday of Passover. I personally feel like it's galling any time of the year. Ayman O'Day... And I appreciate the folks speaking up about this. Idea Omei, excuse me, Amen O'Day, who leads the joint list in alliance of Arab parties in Israel's parliament, condemned the violence in a Twitter message written in Hebrew. And I'm going to spare you my Hebrew. And also, uh, so Hebrew has uh, vowels in it. And I imagine many, I don't, I'm not a study. I don't, I'm not a polyglot. Well, kind of. I'm learn and I'm learning languages. Anyway, so when one learns Hebrew, we learn it with vowels, and then you get to the point where you don't need the vowels to help pronounce it and read it. And I'm not at a stage where I'm going to read this Hebrew, uh, as I don't trust my pronunciation of it. However, the, there's a tweet in Hebrew. On the Jewish Festival of Freedom... Oh, they have the translation, which is lucky for all of us. 
On the Jewish Festival of Freedom of All Days, the residents of the world's largest prison are asking to live, O'Day wrote. Men, women, and children, residents of Gaza, are marching to demand their freedom. Facing off against indifference and cruelty, from Israel's perspective, there is no legitimate form of Palestinian protest. Even such a model of nonviolent popular struggle is met with armed soldiers who do not hesitate to fire at unarmed demonstrators. So you can find this article at theintercept.com, and I feel like there's also other articles that have been shared around, so I feel it's really important just to get that information out there. And the media is so important in terms of providing information for folks, and there's also that split as to who's sharing whose story and whose perspective and whose point of view. Personally, I've met Palestinian folks who have been attacked, and it's, I can't, one, you can't, you can't deny that. You can't. And I think a lot of us would love to have a world where we don't need, and we don't need borders, where the land is meant to be shared. We don't need militarized forces telling people who can or cannot belong. That would be the ideal world that many of us would love to live in. So how do we, how do we get there? And how do we get folks, how do we demilitarize everything and everybody? How can that happen? So I appreciate the folks who are speaking up about it. Um, especially folks within Israel, because here I feel a little bit definitely distant from it, and perhaps that's why I end up focusing on some of the stories that are happening here in the Bay Area and things that are happening here in the United States, not to centralize the United States. I feel it's important, though, that we need to change things here and hold people accountable here as well. So that's that's my perspective. Um, I feel it's time to maybe start wrapping up the show a bit. Coming up next at 2 p.m. will be Women's Magazine with Global Val. And following that is the Common Thread Collective, which is open. If anyone wants to come in and share poetry, music, spoken word, everyone's welcome. Come on in. Share your thing. Do it. It's great. And again, there's a lot of shows here at Mutiny Radio. Go to mutinyradio.fm or on iTunes. And if you'd like a show of your own, please, we need more shows here. And we'd love to have you. We'd love to have your voice. So please check out mutinyreader.fm. You can contact Pam if you're interested in having a show of your own. And also, if you'd like to support the show, again, check out patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. I'll read a few more headlines and then we'll end with some music because music makes me feel better. Needs to be expressed. Uh, uh, <laughs> wow, I've just been talking a lot for an hour and a half. All right, by Alex Handy. Uh, when police take kids' bikes, a group of East Oakland youth in the Scraper Bike Team says San Leandro police keep confiscating their bicycles, sometimes at gunpoint. And you can read that article. It came out on March 28th. And also, it has to do with the whole, I hate the fucking idea of the fucking Ford bikes. And like, there are so many things I would change about it. Like, if they were free, you didn't have to lock them up. They didn't have their terrible logos on it. Like, there's already a lot of bike sharing programs that already were in existence before these corporations decided to make some more money off it. I love... The fact that folks who would like to bike, that I feel like bicycling should be a safe and accessible thing for folks who would like to do that. And at the same time, the fact that these corporations are taking up spaces with them and charging people for them when Ford has plenty, Ford can just, why not just fucking donate bikes for people? I would love that. I've heard in, in Korea, folks just leave their bikes out. You don't need to lock them up. And I imagine, what would that look like here? That would be... Oh, great. Maybe we'll talk about what the kind of world we want to live in, the world where people don't lock their doors and the people, the world where people don't have to lock up bikes and the world without militarized police, the world where uh, the grass goes, grows through the concrete and actually does in this world. So maybe there's, here's to more of that. The world where people don't 
put buildings on sacred land and recognizing, of course, we are on sacred land right now. We're on Ohlone land. <sighs> How do we get back to that? How do we stop things from happening? And that's the thing. There's so many, what's it, uh, balls in the air, I guess, is one expression. There's a lot. There's a lot of things happening, and I think it's all also connected. So, And also, what can we do? Ooh, to support each other. And that brings me to the last thing I will read. Also, quick headline. Uh, students, this has happened in Chicago, uh, in WGN, which I know is like their major news network, so... I don't know. Um, however, they did report that students um, from the south and west sides of Chicago held a protest at City Hall on Wednesday against the city's plan to build a new police academy. So good for these students. And if you want to read the article, go to it's at WGNTV.com. And I believe I also shared it on the Weekly Review webpage. So you can check that out there. Also, there's an article in Mike at MIC.com. Meet the women fighting to ensure people of color have a stake in the legal marijuana industry. And that was written by... Um, Natal J. Whaley on March 27th. And also for folks who, who might not be aware, when California voted, folks in California voted to legalize cannabis, it ended up really kind of skewing who has access. So yes, it's legal. So you don't have to get a doctor's recommendation. However, it's like when a lot of things are legalized, it end up, ends up being monopolized a lot of the time. And folks with more power can end up taking it over, which is really fucked up considering how many people have been criminalized for this plant for decades. So there's an article that's talking about um, women in California who are looking to have access to that and create dispensaries and businesses of their own. So there's uh, one I'll mention, um, Canaclusive, co-founded by Pryor, Tanya Rapley-Flash, and Charlize Antoinette, all black women, provides stock imagery of people of color using cannabis for brands and media to use in their materials and educates people of color about investment opportunities in the industry. And there's a lot of more information. And you can check that out again at mike.com. And we also shared it at Weekly Review at, <laughs> excuse me, facebook.com forward slash Weekly Review. What I wanted to read in full is um, oh also one more article. Ugh. So going back to the the what we start off the show with, which is these bills that's censoring the internet, Microsoft to ban offensive language, quote unquote, from Skype, Xbox, Office, and other services. Microsoft will ban offensive language and inappropriate content from Skype, Xbox, Office, and other services on May first, claiming it has the right to go through your per- private data to investigate. This is so fucked up. Mayday's coming up. How do we how do we shut these fuckers down? How do we do that? And that was written by Miss um, Smith, and it came out on March twenty eighth. So if you want to f- read that full information, read that full, read the full article. CSOonline.com. Again, they're just going down the rabbit hole, and they're gonna start censoring everything. And this is really problematic. Gross. Something positive though. Positive things. All right. This was posted recently, and. It's called uh, Feeling... It's, it's a hound out that is apparently based on Feeling Good by David Burns. I don't know who this person is. Uh, it's called Depressive Logical Mistakes. And so when folks... I know many folks suffer from depression, so this is something... And experience it, so this is something just to help folks get out of it. And also just to recognize, also from my own note, is uh, recognizing how much of it's... We end up internalizing a lot of the problems of the world and of society. And reading these stories, we recognize there's so much militarization and injustice in the world. And how does one... How do you not... I don't understand anyone who's not depressed by it, honestly, if you're aware of what's happening. So here are some tools that one can use to try to to work with maybe 
either having a better understanding of it or just um, working to maybe move out of that a little bit. And this is called depressive logical mistakes. Uh, one would be all or nothing, which is deciding that failing slightly short of your goals makes you a total failure. Another thing that can happen is overgeneralization. Because it worked out badly one time, it will work out badly every time. Another thing is a mental filter, which is allowing a single small negative detail to block out all the good details. Another one is disqualifying the positive, saying that positive experiences or evidence don't count for some reason. Another thing is mind reading. Assume other people think negatively of you without evidence. Or it might be fortune telling, which is to making which is making a negative prediction and then taking it as established fact before the fact. I totally do that a lot. Catastrophizing. I do that on the show. And I mean, look at the world, though. Uh, exaggerating the importance of a minor mistake. OK, I guess that's a little bit different. Not catastroph- Not catastrophizing the administration, which is really catastrophic though. But yes, exaggerating, this is for one's own behavior, exaggerating the importance of a minor mistake. Next is minimizing, disregarding the importance of your qualities or accomplishments. Hey listeners, you're doing great. Go, go you. Okay. Next up, emotional justification. I feel hopeless, therefore things are hopeless. I totally get that. Should, next one is should, must, and ought. Disregarding the way things are in favor of how things should be. I think that one, yeah, definitely. Uh, mislabeling, which is, I failed once, um, so I'm a total failure. Or, he was mean to me once, he's a fucking asshole. That's very relatable. And next, personalization. Taking credit for things you don't actually have control over. Yes. All right. So when you catch yourself thinking this way, take a step back and ask yourself, is this really true or am I stuck in a loop? Simple stories are inherently false. Life is complicated and perspective matters. When life seems overwhelming, remember the Buddhist saying, the correct way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Um, I would also suggest that the correct way to eat an elephant is not to eat an elephant. Okay, that's my own perspective. But I get what they're saying, you know, just one step at a time or do things gradually, I guess, is a more open way of saying it. And uh, and remember at the final at the bottom and remember you can handle this. So that goes out to all the listeners out there. Thank you so much for listening in. Coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val. I am going to end with a, a Marvin Gaye song I hadn't heard before that I heard on the current recently uh, called "You're the Man." So thanks again, everyone, for uh, listening in, and I hope everyone has a decent week and week. Um, be kind to everyone. Be kind to yourselves. And be kind to the earth, and we'll be back next week.
tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground Comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. Every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Well, hello, boys and girls. 
You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base ten times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, We've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco, and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shout. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned and operated food cooperative located at 1745 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Their bulk section is dope AF. 